Welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast where we hold to scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Logan Matisti and my co-host, Colton Wright. We decided to change it up again for round two. Kind of like it changed up. Mixing it up, letting people know that this isn't scripted. Well, I mean, the introduction and the ending are, but depending on who says it, that's the real question. Not today. It's not scripted. Oh, you're right. (laughs) We (laughs) lost our script. (laughs) And I remember saying a Reformed Baptist podcast last time. I did notice the last time that I didn't say that. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you in the middle of saying it and be like, Reformed. You got to say Reformed. (laughs) But yeah, how's things been going for you so far? Busy, chaotic stressful all the above but school started again yeehaw woohoo more tests more tests i started a new job you did mm-hmm. week two no this is still, oh, this is still the first week yeah yeah this that's right you started monday yep started monday and get a three-day weekend off my first week there so man do you get paid for labor day too i don't think so oh do you gotta wait well, I'm salaried, so... Oh, uh, well, yeah, so I guess technically you do get paid. I guess we'll see. But, yeah, no, everything's going pretty good at the new job. It's definitely different being in the automotive industry compared to retail and food and beverage. Yeah. Some similar things carry over, but lots to learn now, that's yeah. for sure. I've been told that you have to put up with a lot with your coworkers. Yeah. It sucks working with your brother-in-law and <laughs> other people you know for a while. Yeah. No, I really enjoy it there so far. It's definitely trying to get my feet wet and under me there is mm-hmm. definitely a chore to learn, though. Well, that's good. Sometimes it's good to get those challenges, push you from something that you're used to to something that's, you know, this is new, completely new field. Oh, yeah. It's definitely different, and I'm excited for it. Well, good. That's awesome. What's going on? new in the world with you i mean are you getting used to the youth pastor it's, position still yeah yeah you know we're getting there getting there we're getting there we are gonna watch american gospel cool i'll be exciting yeah i believe we're gonna try to watch it next week so that's gonna be exciting good we talked about the prosperity gospel mm. kind of talking about that get some apologetics in there oh cool yeah if you are interested in apologetics and you don't have the apologist toolkit, you should sell your shirt and go get it because it is awesome. Man, you really like to sell your shirts for books a lot. Well, I got to sell my shirts so I can go to Reformed Sage and keep buying more shirts. <laughs> right. It's kind of set up almost to go through like with a small group. And so a lot of question and answers, breaking down by categories doesn't read like a normal book so it's not something you have to sit down in one setting and completely read all the way through it's a great resource you can keep coming back to right then there's going to be a debate that colton will be in himself with three other people yeah it'll be me dennis jackson gabriel and adam adam and then that'll be moderated by david van beber jr Mm -hmm. and will hoffman and it is over what does the Bible teach about end times? Yep. And so there'll be the four main views of eschatology debated, and that'll be on the 22nd of October. 23rd. 23rd, 23rd. of October. I was like, no, I don't think that's right. At yeah. 7 p.m. 
at the St. Charles Convention, Convention Center. So that will be a great debate to come listen to. Excited to get my feet wet in debating because I have never debated before. Yeah, and I'm interested so. to see how this is going to go. Four people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're supposed to do it within an hour or so, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's not a whole lot of time to debate, especially between four people, but I think yeah. some points will definitely be get put across and things will definitely go pretty well. I am actually more excited. I'm, I'm excited about the debate, nervous about the debate, but I'm excited about the discussion after the debate. Yeah, that'll be the main thing that yeah. I think most people are looking forward to. Yeah, when you have when you have lots of time to sit and just talk about how everything fanned out. And we got an Airbnb right next to the place. We got Airbnb, and we will be at the convention yeah. the next two days. Yep, staying there until so, Wednesday. So. so if you're at the Missouri Baptist Convention. And you want to look us up, we'll be there. We'll be there. We'll be the cool, nerdy-looking dudes walking around. I hope I don't look that nerdy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> probably. But eh. we'll probably be hanging around the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. Booze yep. a lot would be my guess. Probably probably be over there. I haven't checked to see. But I'm sure I'll man the booth at some point. Yeah. So, I mean, you're there. You should. I probably should. We're going to try to network, meet some new people. Mm-hmm. So if you hear this, you want to come meet us, we'd love to come meet you. Um, if you've never heard of us, that's great. Well, maybe we'll pass you a card and you can come yeah, back and you listen. Yeah, we got new business cards <laughs> business to pass cards. out there. So you'll see us and you'll come back and look at this episode and you'll go, hey, they were talking about the cards they handed me at the Missouri Baptist Convention. <laughs> right. So. So on to other news. I mean, or not news per se, but let's go on and get into the series. Yeah, excited. And so this is Spiritual Discipline number three. Dose. Dose. Oh, I missed one in there. Well, I think we kind of combine meditation into biblical oh, okay. intake, and we're going to mix meditation into prayer, so that's why it feels like it's three. Wow. Oh, okay. You're right. So. I got some interesting quotes to start us off. Is oh, that, is go that for cool? it. Go for it. Because he's been reading, we've been going through Don Whitney's A Spiritual Dang it. Why can't I think of what the title is right now? Spiritual Disciplines. Spiritual Disciplines for a Christian Life. I got, I got it right here. Yeah. Thanks. That's what I was hoping <laughs> you were going to do for me. Since it's my book anyways. It is your book. <laughs> but I've also been putting this side by side with David Mathis' Habits of Grace. And two quotes from David Mathis. It says, It shouldn't surprise us then to find that prayer is not finally about getting things from God, but getting God. Born in response to his voice, prayer makes its request of God, but is not content to only receive from God. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting to make the focus of prayer not so much on the physical gifts and needs that we have, but remembering that prayer is a gateway to getting closer to God. And its ultimate objective is to bring us closer to God and to have God, not those things that we ask for no, the monetary things that we're asking for even the other things but god himself that's a good quote i like that all right second one it's not wrong to want god's gifts and ask for them most prayers in the bible are for the gifts of god but ultimately every gift should be desired because it shows us and brings us more of him when this world totally fails the ground for joy remains god 
Therefore, surely every prayer for life and health and home and family and job and ministry in this world is secondary. And the great purpose of prayer is to ask that in and through all his gifts, God would be our joy. Mm. Yeah. So have you read any other books on prayer besides spiritual disciplines? Yes, I've read. um, I've, I've said it before. Um, uh, why didn't this escape me? D.A. Carson's Praying with Paul, uh, which was a fantastic book, talking about meditating, two, basically combining two of the topics that we already covered. Well, one of the topics and what we're going to talk about today is praying the prayers that Paul prays in the beginning of beginning and ending of his letters mm-hmm. and how he prays and looking at the way in which he pours out his heart and soul and how we can pray similar to that. Right. Okay. And for me, I've read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret by Dr. and Miss Howard Taylor and then How to Pray by R.A. Torrey. Hmm. And both of those are pretty good. The first one goes through Hudson Taylor's journey into starting missions work in China and raising the funds and stuff to do that. And it just shows how it's covered in prayer. And the only way that he makes it through is prayer. Um, mm. R.A. Torrey's prayed. It's basically what the title says. And that's all part of the classic Moody series that I really enjoyed so far. The two books that I've read. And it has some other ones too. Like All of Grace from C.H. Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say C.H. Spurgeon, but I mean, I guess technically that's true too. Yeah. And then it also has Paul Bunyan's. Um, a Pilgrim's Progress in there too. Hmm. So it's we'll quite a few series. I need to read that. It, I only read through it once. It was actually on our first trip to Kentucky that I finished it. I remember that. Yeah, it was hard to read in <laughs> there, but yeah, I can say I've done that. I've uh, I need to get back to it, but I was trying to read a, a devout call a Christian life by William Law, mm-hmm. which was a great book. But you got to take your time going through it because he's he's a hard hitter, hard hitting Puritan, Ooh. but great book. Those Puritans, yeah, mm-hmm. they can definitely get to the heart of an issue and make you mm-hmm. think law, about what you're doing. Law was one of the most influential uh, preachers of his time. Oh, really? I can't remember, but I'll have to look him up and tell him later. There was some quotes. If you go look up like what other people thought of William Law. Mm-hmm. During other contemporaries, they thought that he was like one of the greatest preachers oh, that they had heard. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. So let's jump into spiritual discipline, prayer. Man, I think the first thing that he always points off and starts with. is that prayer is expected. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus ending or towards the end of his Sermon on the Mount says in chapter 6, 5 through 9, he starts off some of the sentences with saying, and when you pray, Mm. but when you pray, and when you pray, pray like this. It's pretty profound. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty crystal clear i mean even in luke chapter 11 
9 through 10, which is where the Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer comes mm-hmm. in. Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Luke 18, 1. He tells them a parable to the fact that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Mm-hmm. He talks about a persistent widow who wears out a judge. judge. Mm-hmm. Think about the the disciples when they said, Lord, how should we pray? Teach us to pray. And that's when he gives the Lord's Prayer. Right. And I mean, it's not even something that just his disciples asked, but even the Pharisees' <clears throat> disciples and John's, the Baptist disciples were taught how to pray. Mm-hmm. So how much more should we all be willing to be taught how to pray? Mm-hmm. And it definitely reminds us that it's a learned thing and not something we should get just off the back. No. No, prayer is such a difficult thing because it, speaking from experience, it always feels so awkward at first. Mm-hmm. And then after you do it and do it and do it and do it, and then it becomes almost second nature. And uh, when you skip those days, I've done it. You skip those days of prayer. You don't even think about it. It hits you harder. You skip leg day. Oh, man. Yeah, that's what, it's, that's what it's like. That's why I have chicken legs. Right. I mean, God's word continues to make it clear that we should do this. Mm-hmm. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. First Thessalonians five seventeen. Pray without ceasing. I mean, in every season, God expects the Christian to be devoted to prayer and to pray without ceasing. And Whitney with that quotes Martin Luther and says, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes. So it is the business of Christians to pray. You know, going back to that Colossians quote there, uh, what's cool about that Paul when he, or when he says that he's just given the family relations. So the famous passage passage, why is be subject to your husband's as uh, fitting in the Lord, husbands, love your wives, do not be embittered against her children, be obedient to your parents and all things. So he's laying out how we as Christians should live daily. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that we focus, how many times have you heard those? This section right here read, really chapter three, verses 18 through 25. Quite a bit. You read those all the time. But what about four? talks about, and then he, he moves on, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devout yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word. He, after he's just described how the family unit and the workings of Christians should be, he mm-hmm. says, and pray. And right. you should pray. And remember, how does Paul open most of his letters? I would say all his letters. With some sort of way saying that he's praying for the people he's writing to. And how does he end this? Pray. Mm -hmm. He begins with prayer and he ends with prayer. So how important is prayer to Paul? Absolutely. It's like the lifeblood of what he's doing. It's the lifeblood. You know, you mentioned in 1 Thessalonians, he says never ceasing Mm -hmm. to pray. The you can see just in Paul's writings, look at the first chapter of Romans, and it's nothing but really a giant prayer. It's just a continual, 
on and on, this wonderful greeting, I pray for you, you know, I pray to come to you, and, and so on and so forth, and he's pouring out his heart, and I think the Apostle Paul is such a wonderful example written in the text for us to see how we should model our prayer lives. Right. And I want to make sure that you guys understand that even though the Bible commands this, it's not just divine summons, but it's also a royal invitation, as Whitney puts it. Mm -hmm. In Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Dan Mathis illustrates this. Prayer for the Christian is not merely talking to God, but responding to the one who has initiated towards us. I mean, think about that. He started it all in the garden. He's the one who gave us the breath of life. I mean, he's the one who reached out to Moses first. He's Mm -hmm. the one who reached out to the prophets. Mm -hmm. I mean, he sent his own son to guide us back into a relationship with him and to die for us. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, God has always been the one who initiates this relationship all the time. I love this quote here by uh, Carl Lundquist. I hope I said that right. It says, The New Testament church built two other disciplines upon prayer and Bible study, the Lord's Supper and small cell groups. John Wesley emphasized five works of piety by adding fasting. The medieval mystics wrote about nine disciplines clustered around three experiences, purgatory of sin, enlightenment of the spirit, and union with God. Later, the Keswick Convention approach to a practical holiness revolved around five different religious exercises. Today, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, lists 12 disciplines, all of them relevant to the contemporary Christian. But whatever varying religious exercise we may practice without the two basic ones of Emmaus, prayer, in Bible reading. The others are empty and powerless. And Whitney comments, if Lundquist is right, as I believe he is, then one of the main reasons for a lack of godliness is prayerlessness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because prayer is not even just something that's a royal invitation, but it's kind of like a battle report. Mm. Whitney kind of illustrates it by saying prayer is expected like a general expects to hear from his soldiers in battle. One writer, prayer is a walkie-talkie for warfare, mm. not a domestic intercom for increasing our conveniences. Mm. Man, does that not hit hard? It a does. domestic intercom for increasing our conveniences. Well, you go to God so many times to, for that. And, you know, I have to stop myself and catch myself because it gets so habitual that you sometimes focus on those domestic things. Lord, help me, I don't know, have a good day today. Help me not break a shoelace. Help me, you know, Lord, help me not hit any red lights on my way to work today so I can get there on time, so I can get that good promotion that I want. Right. You know, we treat God like a divine bank. Yeah, and I mean, I think we might cover this later or not, but a good acronym to always keep in mind is ACTS. Yeah. You know, I did not know that till I listened to Doctrine and Devotion. Yeah, I listened to Doctrine and Devotion, and I've heard it before that, I think, mm-hmm. but it also is restated again in David Mathis' book, mm. which is A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for the supplication. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, before you even start to ask for things uh, for yourself and other people, I mean, prayer should always be starting worshiping God for who he is and things that he's done. And we'll go into it later in a story, but one of the people here shows how he turned his prayer life around by reading the word and realizing of where it pointed to, but starts with adoration and then how quickly reading the Bible before praying moved him to confession mm-hmm. or thanksgiving and even sometimes supplication. Mm-hmm. But it, it really showed how easily those these two and meditation really combine and interplay off each other a lot. Mm. The adoration something I probably, well, I hear a lot of people lack that in their prayer life, really. You mm-hmm. know, when we hear a lot of prayers, we thank God, but we don't ever dwell on why do we thank God. D.A. Carson in his book, Praying with Paul, I've probably said this before, but it was just such a, a key moment to me. Right. Um, he mentioned in a class for homework, the assignment was to go home and pray for an hour, but don't ask for anything. And it was to pray for an hour alone and all you were to pray for was to thank god and just just praise god that's it but just thank god don't ask for anything and he said he went in the closet and he sat down and he just poured his heart out he's just going 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 and he said it was just the longest winded prayer you'd ever heard and he stopped and he looked at his watch only been five minutes (laughs) only been five minutes and he went this is going to be a really long hour yeah. And he said he's sitting there for an hour. So there's a lot of silence. But, you know, God created us and we should be able to think of why you love somebody. Right. Donald Whitney really echoes this. Mm-hmm. He says, when our awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer lives will be small. The less we think of the nature and character of God and the less we are reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross the less we want to pray. Mm. And he, I like his comparison with a a relationship, which I think is beautiful. If you come home, well, there's two relationship quotes I've heard, one from Don Don Whitney and another one I've just heard. If If you come home and you simply peck your wife on the cheek every day and you go to bed, where's that relationship going? It's going nowhere. That's, that's signs of a bad relationship. Right. At the same time, Don Whitney uses the great example of when he travels. And as you travel, what does he do? He always calls his wife. Does he have to? No. But he wants to. Why does he want to? He, well, I want to call my wife because I want her to know that I'm safe. I want her to know that I'm, I'm fine. But I also want to have that communication with her. It's right. not an obligation. I don't have to do it. But I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, if it can be such an interaction with... Us married people, I'm sure you do it about the same. When you go on a long trip or you're away from your wife for a while, you give her a call. We haven't really done that yet. Well, I don't I don't really think that we've ever had a chance or done anything to where either one of us has gone very long from wow. each other. I mean, Kyra goes up to St. Louis on a Tuesday, and that's about... Like, as far away as we spend time from each other. Usually you guys talk on the way home? No. No? No. We usually wait till she gets home because 
that's her time with her best friend and mm-hmm. I, I totally understand and get it and want her to have as much time talking to her because her friend Rachel is she only gets to see mm. when she's doing that so yeah I don't I let them have their time no. when we would go on a long trip or anything like that <laughs> for instance I went on a business trip I mean don't get me wrong yeah. we still text throughout the day and yeah. things like that like when we, when I went I on a business trip a few years ago actually before you were right. married <laughs> right before I was married right before you were married because I was supposed to stay over at his house that night, and he was not home. I was making my way. Yeah. I was almost there. My boss was like, <laughs> hey, the Landscaping Convention, GIE Expo, biggest expo in the United States is going on. I got you tickets and signed up for classes. Great. What's the date? And it was <laughs> two days before we my wedding. wedding. And I'm like, I've, uh, I've, uh, we gotta, we gotta be home. Right. Like at this time, can you do it the day of? I'm like, no, no, oh, that's no. not going to work. No, I'm the best man. I'm not going to be late to the wedding. We need to show up <laughs> right. the day before. Either that or I'm going to drive separate. <laughs> but anyway, on the ride up there uh, and, and throughout the day, it was it was multiple calls, conversations. Right. Because you always just want to check in. Mm-hmm. Not because you have to, but because you love them and it's that communication. Yep. And that's kind of one of the things that I know that I lack. So, I mean, I can point towards that as another reason of why my prayer lo- life lacks is because I know I'm not the best communicator and it's something that I need to grow better in. But I think it's because I take for granted this idea of how great God is. I mm. mean, it, Donald Whitney really hits it on the head when he's talking about our awareness of wh- how great God is or how great the gospel is for us. I mean, the last time that we leave the gospel just on a shelf we used once, mm-hmm. I think really pours into how well we do these spiritual disciplines. If we don't realize how great the depths that God has gone and what God has done for us, then it's going to echo in the way that our spiritual disciplines walk along with it. Mm-hmm. I like Paul Washer gives in a sermon once, uh, us as Christians, we argue about eschatology. We argue about salvation. We argue about the proper mode of baptism. You name it. We argue about these little things. But do you realize in a second, in a split second, when we move from this life to the next, we will have a perfect eschatology. We will have a perfect soteriology. We will know everything about the end times. We'll know everything about how we're saved. We will know everything about all the modes of baptism that it's full body submersion for those of you that don't know <laughs> did that just take away from your quote <laughs> no obviously not no that was biblical anyway <laughs> so uh, we'll know all those things but the one thing you will never know and you'll spend the rest of eternity trying to figure out but you will never get the grasp of is who God is in his entirety you will, we will never grasp the fullness of God and his majesty and his glory and his holiness. We will never get there and we will always be learning. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing that we spend our times on what? Eschatology, theology, baptism, baptism, women preachers. Women preachers. Yeah. And what music to sing in church. <laughs> what music to sing. Exactly. 
But it's definitely something that's a continual learning thing. I mean, Whitney says, the Bible says we must pray for the glory of God in his will in faith in the name of Jesus with persistence and more. A child of God gradually learns to pray like this in the same way that a growing child learns to talk. To pray as expected, to pray as a maturing Christian, and to pray effectively, we must say with the disciples in Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Mm. I mean, we're both kind of going through that situation right now, watching our children learning how mm. to talk. <laughs> oh, there's a great example, but I can't <laughs> use it on here. Oh, <laughs> uh, My son only knows mom, ball, and shoe. Yeah, my daughter has expanded her vocabulary, but how she says that vocabulary sometimes is quite question- <laughs> questionable. You have to stop and go, what did you just say? <laughs> oh, no, it's not stopping. What did you just say? It's knowing full exactly what she meant and knowing how she says it and trying not to laugh and crack up <laughs> on how she says the word fox. <laughs> oh, no. uh, because, honey, um, honey, don't say it in church. <laughs> Yeah, it's gotten a few questionable glances there. Uh, but I mean, it's part of what happens when you're learning how to talk and say yeah. vowels and stuff like that. So it's funny, but it's part of the learning curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way that Andrew, a quote from Andrew Murray, he says, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and talking about it is very good, but it won't teach you to pray. Mm-hmm. You get nothing without exercise, without practice. I might listen for a year to a professor of music playing the most beautiful music, but that won't teach me to play an instrument. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing that, to me, that's was one of the, maybe you can just say reading Don Whitney's book, his last few months really dwelling on it, was prayer always felt awkward at certain times. Right. You know, and it always felt weird I, oh, I didn't say that. Oh, I, I, I knew I forgot to say it that way. That's that's not important, and it will feel awkward. But the more I've discovered is the more you do it, the less awkward it seems. Right. I it's, think the hardest thing for me to learn was getting out of the mindset of just like, what does prayer look like? Does mm-hmm. is it something that you have to bow your head and fold your hands every time? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, what is it when you're just thinking in the car on the way home? Or mm-hmm. what is it when you're thinking at bed at night? I mean, there's just multiple times where I know that I need to inject prayer into my life mm-hmm. more is what I'm realizing. And learning how to do that. Learning how to use meditation to put that in there. Mm-hmm. And learning how to read God's word to where it helps me to put all that in there. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what Paul really means here in First Thessalonians when he mentions never ceasing to pray is that being a continual prayer. Not that hey, you know, I'm cleaning the toilet. Oh, I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm praying. Not necessarily that, but in all moments, be praying. There's not have to be a specific time. But I was greatly convicted by D.A. Carson's book, Praying with Paul, and he mentions praying with your boots on. Mm-hmm. And he gave this analogy. He said, when do you pray? Do you pray with your boots on? If you pray with your boots on, where are you going? And you're always going somewhere. And he said, it's great to pray whenever, whenever you can get it in. But try to set that special time 
for God, because if you pray with your boots on all the time, you're always going somewhere, or you're coming from somewhere. You're never sitting and dwelling just on God. Right. And he said it'd be, I'll have to go back and read exactly how I put it, but just the the fact that you are completely giving God all your attention mm-hmm. can have a drastic spiritual effect. Yeah. And I mean, we even forget sometimes what is said in John sixteen thirteen about all of this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Yes, there is some teaching from people. There's some teaching from scripture, but that's all enlightened through the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and God using the Holy Spirit to point us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. That's really the way that we confirm everything that's going on is we hear it in the word. Mm-hmm. We study the word. And the Spirit helps to convict us of what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But at the end, what the Spirit is telling us is not going to contradict what's going on here. And uh, I'm putting my hand on Cold's Bible on the <laughs> table <laughs> with my right hand and then the left hand to the spiritual side. Yeah. But so knowing that, right? We right. know that. We know that intellectually. The hardest thing is, is relationally to put your arms around that really because this summarized it here on 65 often we don't pray because we doubt that anything will actually happen if we pray mm-hmm. so this prayer becomes such an intellectual game i don't want to use the term game intellectual ritual right we go through the motions we pray we're but we're not actually expecting a change our heart is not truly in the prayer Right. We don't, you might say in one sense, no, I'm praying it. I do believe it. But you, you know, you don't really, truly, sincerely believe it. Right. You know, I have a, a great testimony that I'm not going to share right now on the, on the podcast, but I prayed something that changed kind of my prayer life and made me realize that is I prayed for someone and I got to watch them come to salvation. Mm-hmm. And it was an altering moment in my life when prayer. Right. So God does answer prayer. Absolutely. Um, so uh, we should go into prayer not doubting. Right. And it kind of makes me think of the same way of how applying prayer kind of applies. The way that a preacher teaches a sermon. <laughs> preacher preaches a sermon, not teaches. <laughs> I mean, I mean same, pre- dif- yeah. same difference, Preaching should be teaching. But all teaching, teaching is not, not preaching. preaching. <laughs> But the way that a preacher teaches a sermon or preaches a sermon is, yeah, we're good at giving all the head knowledge that we can get into something, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not what makes a sermon a sermon. If you just teach all the knowledge you can, that's just giving a lecture. Mm. I mean, the big thing of the preacher is taking all that head knowledge and moving it into an application Mm-hmm. that can speak to the people's hearts mm-hmm. that points them in the direction of God and leads them back to worshiping God just as much as the preacher is doing. Reading the text and commenting on it is no more than just a commentary. Right. Applying the text without commenting is nothing more than a self-help book. You have to have both. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely that extra extreme of work. If you're just trying to apply God's word without really looking at it, 
then that's a scary thought. Mm. You can turn into self-help. This is what you need to do to better yourself. Right. And that's not what Christianity's made to do either. No. And when you think of, you know, I'm guilty of kind of falling off one ditch or the other. Right. A lot of it has to do with a lack of sensing really the nearness of God right. and our relationship with God. I like how Donald Whitney puts it. He says, meditation is the missing link between biblical intake and prayer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's true. We read it and we leave it here in this space and we leave prayer in the other yeah. corner. When in reality, there's definitely kind of like a Venn diagram almost sometimes mm-hmm. of the way that prayer meditation and biblical reading should all play into each other. Mm-hmm. We Yeah, we tend to think, you know, I need to wake up early in the morning and I'm guilty of it. I Actually, my, my time is Saturday, so I'm, I, I love Saturday mornings when I can wake up and just read for an hour, mm-hmm. hour and a half, just read and study. But uh, it's always read and study. Oh, then I need to pray. Right. <laughs> no, you should have been doing that. You know, while you're doing while it. While you're doing it. Right. And I get guilty of that all the time. I'm like, oh, I've been studying and I haven't been praying. And uh, that Venn diagram kind of hits home to me because a lot of times I don't take that middle. <laughs> no, I tend to all. I tend to try to section it off and then go, oh, man. Man, one of the things that I really like about this section, too, after we get through the two Bible verses, is how he goes through the list of Puritans who <sighs> quote on this. Yeah, I I quit writing quotes. Yeah, I got. I think I wrote almost all of them. I didn't. I I wrote like two or three, and I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we might go through all I'm, of them. We might not. I love. Uh, I just never thought about how Christ had promised us, and for, for us feeling this relational aspect in prayer, He promised that He would be with us. Right. It this wasn't a. I'm up here. Um, you pray to me, you know, the telephone game, you ring me when you need me. Um, I might answer. He's actually said that he would be with his people mm-hmm. in the end of Matthew, the last two verses, Matthew 28, right. 19 through 20. We know the first one, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, teaching them, to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. He promises that he will be with his people. Right. And that's even saying before that part, all authority has been given mm-hmm. to me on heaven and earth. earth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in Psalm 5 1, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Now, I didn't know this, but maybe you did in your Hebrews Ugh. classes. Groaning could also be translated towards meditation. I did not know that. Nope. Thanks, Donald Whitney, for teaching us yeah. something. You know, I'm signed up for a daily Hebrew thing, and I don't think I've read it. And Yeah. We won't talk about that. Anyway. Psalm 1914 <laughs> says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I mean, we talked about it in the last episode of how important meditation is through reading scripture, but let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I mean, obviously our heart and mouth should correspond to each other. I mean, we can tell where our walks are going by how we talk, how Mm -hmm. we reach out to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect with it, 
but the way that if you're a Christian, you talk at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. probably should not be the same by the end yeah. at all. And definitely not five years down the road. No. No, if you can't look back on your life and say, that's a big change, you know, you'd be questioning it. You know, that's a great example. You saying that, how is that done? Right. Well, it's done by the spirit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the, that's the spirit sanctifying us, growing us in the Lord. It's amazing that talking about, uh, you, you mentioned mouth, um, cursing and other thing. It, it, you could fill in the blank. Right. Um, but we use cursing, for example. Uh, cursing, your mouth at the beginning of your Christian walk should not be similar to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a work of the Spirit. And it's amazing that we understand the Spirit works in sanctification. But when it comes to prayer, we tend to neglect the Spirit. Right. We tend to exclude the Spirit from prayer. Right. The Spirit's not in prayer. Mm-hmm. But he is. Right. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely vital. And just as vital as sanctification, you can know more. Oh, I wish I had just thought about that quote from John Owen. Why did I? I should have thought of that earlier. <laughs> I had it pulled up. But anyway, John Owen and his famous work, Mortifying Sin. Or to, to, to the mortify, mortification. The mortification sin. sin. I don't know why I drew a blank on that. Um, he mentions, you know, you can no more sanctify yourself. And this is my translation of it. You can no more sanctify yourself by yourself then you can save yourself by yourself. Right. It's all done through the Spirit. Yeah, it's almost like as if somebody was laying on the ground and trying to pull themselves up by their belt loops. Yeah. Yeah, I've kind heard that. Idea. That's a yeah. good one. I think you've even used that example here in the Maybe. show. Maybe. I don't know. I may have. If I did, it was a lot better than what I just said. So <laughs> should rewind and sub that in. Right. But, I mean, I guess I say that and I kind of put a time limit on things. Well, yeah, but, but I probably shouldn't have. You're just kind of saying because it. I know that in my life, I've kind of messed up that way. But at some point in time, like throughout your life, and if you call yourself a Christian, you could definitely tell throughout a point in time of definitely a path of growth mm-hmm. that I can tell in my life that's made me more mm-hmm. conform to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. If you're staying stagnant or going below that line then you're probably in that range of where your salvation is definitely in question. Should we pull another John Owen quote? <laughs> Go for it. Must always be seeking to kill sin. Mm-hmm. Must it be killing you? Right. Absolutely. Or let it be our daily task to mortify sin, lest we be killing sin or it be killing us. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. I definitely like the process that when he lays out mm-hmm. for meditating on scripture and how it deals with prayer. He says, after the input of a passage of scripture, meditation allows us to take what God has said and think deeply on it, digest it, and then speak to God about it in meaningful prayer. As a result, we pray about what we've encountered in the Bible, now personalized through meditation. And not only do we have something substantial to say in prayer, as well as the confidence that we are praying God's thoughts to him, but we transition smoothly into prayer and with more passion for what we're praying about. Well, we'll move to Richard Baxter here for a second. He says, In our meditations to intermix soliloquy and prayer, sometimes speaking to our own hearts and sometimes to God, is, I apprehend, the highest step we can advance to in this heavenly work. 
Nor should we imagine it be as well to take up with prayer alone and lay aside meditation, for they are distinct duties, and must both of them be performed. We need the one as well as the other, and therefore we shall wrong ourselves by neglecting either. Besides the mixture of them, like music, will be more engaging, as the one serves to put life into the other, and speaking to ourselves in meditation should go before our speaking to God in prayer. Mm. Definitely is helpful to remember, like, music can be great with, like, one instrument. Mm. But everyone will point to say that music is more beautiful when you have the harmonies from multiple instruments and multiple things coming mm-hmm. together. Not a music person, so if, I'm, <laughs> if I messed up using those terms, <laughs> my bad. But, yeah, it's definitely important to think about prayer and meditation as that. And, I mean, even the spiritual disciplines, they're all multiple things that mix together and make this one big harmony and music mm-hmm. that we listen to that helps point us and guide us in a direction of following God. Yeah, not instruments that to be, to be played separately, but to be played together mm-hmm. all in one. Absolutely. Don Whitney says here, reading the full quote, When there is little awareness of real need, there is little prayer. Some circumstances drive us to our knees, but there are periods when life seems quite manageable. Although Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, John fifteen five. This truth hits home more forcefully at some times than others. In pride and self-sufficiency, we may live for days as though prayer were needed only when something comes along too big for us to handle. Until we see the danger and foolishness of this attitudes, God attitude, God's expectation for us to pray may seem irrelevant. When our awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer life will be small. It's so important to our prayer lives that we think about God and not about ourselves. Mm-hmm. John Owen puts it. Pray as you think, consciously embrace with your heart every gleam of light and truth that comes to your mind. Thank God for and pray about everything that strikes you powerfully. Mm. And that's the same John Owen we were talking about earlier in the mortification of sin. I guarantee that while he was writing that, he was definitely meditating powerfully and praying powerfully. If you haven't read... Uh, the Mortification of Sin. Man, it is a fantastic book. Right. I mean, even Thomas Watson's Doctrine of Repentance. Mm-hmm. Which I'm making my, making my way through. Almost finished it now. Yeah, it's so good. It is really good. I need to go back through it. I mean, even another important or popular Puritan that we point towards, Matthew Henry on Psalms nineteen fourteen. Mm-hmm. David's prayers were not his words only, but his meditations. As meditation is the best preparation for prayer, so prayer is the best issue of meditation. Meditation and prayer go together. Man, there's just so many good quotes on this. You know, speaking of this, I want to put this out there because something that I I don't have yet, but I'm I'm wanting to get it to help me in my prayer life, Mm -hmm. is uh, the Valley of Visions. That's what it's called, Valley, Valley of Visions, Puritan Prayers. Have you ever read that? Sorry. No? Say that again one more time. The Valley of Visions. I haven't heard of that. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. Okay. 
really good prayers. I picked it up and redeemed, uh-huh. and I was so frustrated because I put it down. And I said I'm going to get it next time, and I went back and I could not find it. Oof. And I've been kicking myself ever since because I had it in my hand. But you know that tug of war when you mm-hmm. already have a cart full of books, and yeah, and you can't. Your wife doesn't want you to buy out. one more book. Right. She doesn't understand that you need this book. <laughs> I mean, I think she understands that you do, but understands also at the same time you don't have the space for it at home. Well, that's, I said that's that about the last 20 books, and she's like, I don't think you need it. You haven't read those. I'm like, but I'll read this one next. <laughs> right. But it's just so important that we continue to educate ourselves and look at other things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as Christians, we need to be engaged. And I think we'll talk about this later, too. Engage with other believers in prayer. Mm-hmm. And not just living ones, but also yeah. dead ones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's something that kind of, I guess, stepped on my toes maybe a little bit, you could mm-hmm. say. Kind of slap in the face on the corporate prayer aspect. Right. And the only reason we're reading to you all these quotes from even Donald Whitney and David Mathis is I want to make sure that these are things that are stepping on our toes. Oh, yeah. And things that I want to bring across. I mean... I understand that people need to think for themselves sometimes, but I'm pulling these quotes out of these books because I think that they really help to guide us in the direction where we're supposed to walk. And I don't think there's really much more commentary needed on by than what they say. Yeah. I mean, these men have struggled with the same things. The reason they're writing them is not because they're superior. It's because they've struggled with the same things. They've been through the trenches. They understand. Right. And God's definitely pointing them in a direction to where they're sharing those struggles Mm -hmm. and helping to guide people so that they can make it through those struggles and not necessarily avoid them, but just go through the trenches there with them. You know, to me, when I think of like prayer and my prayer life that I want to model, not just the prayers, but the the heart of prayer, the, the trusting of the Lord that I would strive for is is like george mueller Mm -hmm. to me i mean his story is just wow it's fascinating i know that one you don't know george mueller Uh -uh. oh my goodness so uh what page was it on here oh he's in the book okay i think i know what you're talking about never mind well we'll he's in here we'll get to that here in a second okay yeah never mind sorry i'm blinked i probably should have went over this before we got an episode But yes, I know what story you're talking about. Okay. So, Thomas Mann. Meditation is a middle sort of duty between the word and prayer, and hath respect to both. The word feedeth meditation, and meditation feedeth prayer. These duties must always go hand in hand. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. To hear and not to meditate is unfruitful. We may hear and hear, but it's like putting a thing into a bag with holes. It is rashness to pray and not to meditate. What we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. These three duties must be ordered that one may not jostle the other. Men are barren, dry, and sapless in their prayers for want of exercising themselves in holy thoughts. Hmm. Ouch. Yeah. And I mean, I say ouch because that's my prayer life. There are times where I definitely felt barren, dry, and sapless. Mm -hmm. And it might be because I haven't thought about how wonderful God is, Mm -hmm. how deep his love is. 
I haven't understood how he's worked through the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and how he's brought Israel and his people out time and time again and how he's loved them and Mm -hmm. how he's been faithful to what his promises even are and how he's going to be still faithful to those who he loves Mm -hmm. and to the elect. Mm -hmm. William Bates. What is the reason that our desires like an arrow shot by a weak bow do not reach the mark, but only this? We do not meditate before prayer. The great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them. Hmm. How flippantly do we say something in a prayer without really forethought? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's so rehearsed. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of it. You get rehearsed. This is my prayer list. This is, you know... Um, if you have a church similar to ours, we do the prayer list, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we print the prayer list and it becomes a, I don't want to say mundane because that's not quite the word I'm, I'm looking for, but uh, again, you're just doing it. Yeah, it becomes repetition. Repetition. You're not really dwelling on it. Lord, please, Lord. And then, and then from that heart, meditating on the prayers, meditating, Lord, please, you know, bring this person to salvation, so on and so forth, or meditating on the word, the same sense where it's this constant recollection of God's word, repeating in your mind, praying, Lord, I thank you for your majesty. Lord, I thank you for the firm foundation that you've given me. Lord, I thank you for the rock that you are, unchanging, immutable. Right. I mean, William Bridge commentating on meditation says, as it is the sister read. So it is the mother of prayer. Though a man's heart be much indisposed to prayer, yet if he can but fall into a meditation of God and the things of God, his heart will soon come off to prayer. Begin with reading or hearing, go on with meditation and into prayer. Reading without meditation is unfruitful. Meditation without reading is hurtful. To meditate and to read without prayer upon both is without blessing. Hmm. Peter Toon really summarizes this says to read the bible and not to meditate was seen as an unfruitful exercise better to read one chapter and meditate afterward than to read several chapters and not to meditate likewise to meditate and not to pray was like preparing to run a race and never leaving the starting line the three duties of reading scripture meditation and prayer belong together and though each could be done occasionally on its own as formal duties to god they were best done together Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we really get into that idea of where we separate all three of those things and Mm. we don't learn how to fruitfully put them together. And I think that's why our prayer lives sometimes suck so much. (laughs) Yeah. Because we don't understand how to flame our prayers. I mean, we don't understand the heart behind why prayers were so big or how to pray prayers that move mountains or the sun stands still. I mean, those prayers are interesting, of course, and there's books titles like prayers, how to pray big prayers and things mm-hmm. like that. But it ultimately, ultimately lays in these three things of how God's word helps to install that faith and trust in God. Mm -hmm. And as we meditate on those things, it brings us to prayer, whether in adoration, whether for thankfulness, 
or even brings us to confess when we read his word. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, by the time we get done with those three things, I mean, how can we not read words where it says, love your neighbor as yourself and not begin to pray for other people? If you're not praying for your neighbor, you know, that's the simplest thing to do. It just, really is. Just remember everybody's your neighbor. Everybody, the whole world. Yeah, and not just specific. Yeah. I think of the, the Lord's Prayer when you have our Father who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name, holy be your name, may your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, mm-hmm. have your will on this earth, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, you know, sustain me, give me, forgive us of our failures, you know, the the Lord really models this type of patrician, this type of pleading out. Right. So, I think of uh, I uh, think we should be like cows, like cows and chew the cud. You chew the cud multiple times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we chew it through the intake of the word. We chew it through prayer. We mm. chew it through fellowshipping with other believers. We chew it through listening to sermons. I mean, there's multiple ways, time and time again, that we can have this meditation on word. And it leads to all these fruitful exercises of things. Yeah. But it literally leads to that command of what God told Joshua. To meditate on his law day and night and do not let it depart from your mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand it's hard and you're not well, going to fulfill that completely. But this is the goal and the image that we need to conform to. Yeah, for sure. If it was, you're, you're right, it's not easy, but with help from God, right, you can make progress. Right. And like Jesus was saying, chapter 19, when he's talking about the rich ruler, I mean, the people are shocked in awe by what's going on because if this man who's been blessed by God can't find him mm-hmm. or blessed with air quotes. How is salvation even possible? Mm-hmm. It's in their minds. Jesus says, with man, all things may be impossible. With, with God, it's possible. Anything, anything's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get to the story of George Mueller. Because, I mean, he really embodies what all these Puritans yes. just said and what we've been going through. He was... Uh... I'm not going to lie. I originally had like this whole story (laughs) quoted on Uh, one thing. I was like, I better slim this down some for the podcast. I was doing some research before we got on here just to do a quick some research about George Mueller and Mm -hmm. his time frames and stuff like that. And his life is truly amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the man who 19 around 1829, a few years after that, he was to pastor a small church of 18 people. It's called a pastor church of 18 people. He then under severe conviction decided to sell all his possessions, everything, him and his wife sold everything, gave it to the poor. they, They lived in poverty to make sure the poor to help them. And he put four ministerial goals to assist Sunday schools and day schools. So to educate, Essentially, 
to sell Bibles at low cost. He wanted to make sure everyone had a Bible in their hand to aid missionaries by whatever means and to circulate tracts. This is four ministerial goals. And that is what drove him to come to the greatest example that most people, if you've ever heard of George Mueller, it's because of this next part. He was greatly convicted um, that he needed to help those in the orphanages. Because back in those days, orphanages were, really wasn't any. That's why you see great people like George Mueller. And eventually, a few years later, we'll see Charles Spurgeon, Mm -hmm. who founded orphanages all over England. And I believe there's still a few to this day that that he started that are still going. Hmm. I mean, he's a very, Charles Spurgeon was a great man that tried. But anyway, he began an orphanage. Okay. Uniquely, something unique about the orphanage, though. He never asked for anything. Oh, so kind of like Hudson Taylor a little bit. Yeah. Because I think they were around the similar way mm. of where they didn't really do the kind of advertising and things like that too, Mm-mm. but just asked in prayer and God provided for him. Yep. That's what he did. He he said at one point, if you, if you want to read those quotes, I got to pull this up for a second. I didn't. You I kind of tried to summarize it oh. more than quote it. This is the... So the way that George Mueller's story goes is he started his mornings by having prayer after getting dressed. And his focus was on meditation and reading the word. And then afterwards, of course, would get to the point of praying before this. And you know how it is when you wake up in the morning, you kind of get kind of sluggish and you're still waiting for that pot of coffee. And it takes you like 15 to 20 minutes to even focus on anything in prayer. I mean, you might start for a good minute and then squirrel. Mm -hmm. And then you go back. And so you started reading the word and he was more seeking to gain blessing out of his meditation for just him and not for others, which sounds kind of selfish. But I mean, in reality, most pastors don't take the time and, some people don't take the time to feed their own souls because they're so focused on eggs. Mm-hmm. But as he was meditating and reading the word, he noticed that he's starting to be led more towards confession to thanksgiving and to intercession and to supplication. So that more or less while meditating would move into prayer. And the main difference is the first thing the child of God has to do in the morning is to attain food for his inner man, which is the word of God rather than just trying to start with prayer. Mm. But it's one of those things. I mean, I probably really doled that down a lot. I promise that you should probably get Donald Whitney's book and read through the excerpt he's got on George Mueller. It'll change the way you think about your morning meditations. He's uh, the whole story of George Mueller. Just to get a, a picture and a caps under this guy. He started off praying, God will provide. He talked with people about his plans, not advertising, praying. That's it. Gifts of furniture, money, dishes began to come in. Mueller kept details of everything everyone had given. People showed up offering to teach and work in the orphanage. He found a place to rent. He had everything ready. And the one funny thing he didn't have was orphans yet. No orphans had showed up, so he prayed. That's that's what he did. He he hit his knees and prayed for orphans. The first house opened with 30 girls. People, kids started pouring in, pouring in. 
The first two years went well, and the next seven years were hard. Sometimes meal time arrived, but there was no food, and then they would pray, and at the last minute, food would appear. During Mueller's lifetime, he gave away $700,000 that had been given to him for his personal needs. Everything that he'd been given, he just simply gave away. Right. He spent hours every day studying the Bible and praying. He felt that God was calling him to care for even more orphans. After five weeks of prayer, five weeks of prayer, he determined that God wanted him to build a large facility. It would be expensive, $18,000 then. That's $1 million today. It's a lot of money. He yeah. found seven acres down Ashley Down in England. He said it would be the perfect place. The, an- the landowner reduced the price for him. Mueller refused to go into debt. He purchased the land. After two and a half years, he had all the funding. And in 1849, the building was complete. Held 300 children. Over the next 21 years, four more homes were built, holding more than 300 kids apiece. Yeah, I mean, it's just stories like that that help to give modern illustrations of what God has already been doing throughout Scripture Mm -hmm. and throughout time. And Mueller's big thing was he would not advertise, like we had said, not Mm -hmm. advertise, strictly prayer, just prayer. Yeah. I love getting to read George Mueller's story. And it kind of just illustrates how much meditation really builds into the other three as well. Mm -hmm. Besides just getting quotes, besides just getting scripture. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a time where you get all those mixed together in application. Which I really kind of like the way that Donald Whitney put that now that I think about it. I mean, you get scripture, you get some nice quotes, and then you kind of get that application, which is kind of sometimes the way a sermon should be built. Mm-hmm. Is you get the exposition of God's word, quotes to help illustrate it, and then stories or illustrations that really help to apply it. Mm-hmm. Not saying that it has to go in that order, but... Well, you forgot the Charles Spurgeon quote. Charles Spurgeon quote? You got to have a Charles Spurgeon quote in a sermon. Oh, that's right. I don't have those a lot. Every good Baptist has to have it. I feel like I have more Paul Washer quotes than I do <laughs> Charles Spurgeon. They're similar. I'm pretty sure some stuff that Paul Washer gets is from Spurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you don't have to have a Spurgeon quote in every one of your sermons. No, but please you should, don't listen to that. You should think of Paul Washer though. Not even. Don't even <laughs> think of Paul Washer in your sermons. You don't have necessarily have to watch that. But we need to remember that. There's three different movements to go to in sermons and prayers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's illustration, there's application, and there's exposition. And those are three key things that help to really build sermons to make them move people towards worship to God. Mm-hmm. And that should be the same for our lives. Right. If you're reading the text and not applying it to how this text applies to me in my situation how it applied to them it's like having a tool but you can't actually use it it's good for nothing right it kind of really helps move towards this idea of what happens now after this meditation after you realized oh these things are important 
what's some more process of how I can get better with praying besides just thinking about God's word in it? One thing that it points towards is corporate prayer mm-hmm. or praying with other people. The disciples learned to pray not only by asking Jesus to teach them in Luke and what Jesus said in Matthew, but also by being with him when he prayed. Mm-hmm. I mean, the disciples were with him on top of the mountain in the transfiguration. I mean, they're there with him at the Mount of Olives. There's multiple times that Jesus went away by himself to go pray. Mm-hmm. But there's other times where the disciples were right there with him, listening to him and watching how he prayed. It's probably one of my weaker points in prayer is the corporate aspect. I mean, pray, obviously, Sunday and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I, what I mean is not just the ritualistic before we get ready to open God's word, but actually praying with believers, sitting down and saying, hey, do you guys, you guys want to pray? I'd say that's probably one of my weaker points. Right. If not my weakest. Yeah. And a similar way we can learn to pray by praying with other people who can model true prayer to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, other believers teach us as much when we pray with them, but we pray with them to learn the principles of prayer and not necessarily mm-hmm. phrases. I have been, I have grown a lot in prayer or been at least, I have admired the way other believers pray. I, I really enjoy listening to other people pray because when you listen to someone, uh, you can just see their heart. One of the person that, not necessarily what he prays, but our buddy Ezekiel. Right. I love that if you were ever in a conversation with him and before you left the conversation, he would look at you and he would say, how can I pray for you? And he would pray for you right then and there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was awkward maybe the first time. And then it was like, you know, that was amazing. And so, you know, it's something that I've stolen from him that I like to do to people, how can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. If I'm talking to somebody, how can I pray for you? How can I continue to carry on this supplication for you? I can think of other people that just the way, not the verbiage in these long drawn out words, but their their way, uh, Remington, I love the way Remington prays. I was thinking about that on Sunday. His words, and I was like, man, that was a really good prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's people who can help to give biblical reasons to the Lord why a prayer should be answered. And Mm -hmm. they show you how to pray through that. How to pray through passages of scripture. I mean, you talk about D.A. Carson's book. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's even people who, like Ezekiel, can help us learn how to pray for missions as a faithful intercessor. Mm -hmm. Or even Hudson Taylor's book. Many of the great movements of God can be traced to a small group of people he called together to begin praying. Mm -hmm. Man, I really wish I could think... But there's the haystack meeting of people. I'm trying to think of what major missions group that started. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I know there's four big people who... I think it, you can say you on. Okay. I just think of prayer in the corporate aspect of when you're with some believers and you're truly pouring your heart out, having a true prayer meeting even... Uh, if you've ever listened to Leonard Ravenhill, he's really big on the prayer meetings where people really pour their heart out in prayer and you can you can feel the Spirit moving with these other people, how the Spirit's moving in their lives, how these people are pouring out, how, what they're studying in Scripture. Sometimes you can get that. There's a lot you can tell by somebody by the way they pray. Okay. Sorry, it wasn't the Wesley. Sorry. It's five Williams College students who meet in the summer of 1806. Samuel J. Mills, James Richard, Francis Robbins, Harvey Loomis, and Byron Green. 
And they all started a group called the Brethren, and they helped to start the American Bible Society. Hmm. Is what that one started. Which I guess right now that was one that I'd heard about going through school. But corporate prayer and not in the ritualistic before a sermon, you know, the the Sunday rituals, but when you're with believers, just in general. Right. And I mean, there's definitely more, I don't want to say more power in prayer when there's more people, but it really helps to attune your heart towards the way of prayer mm-hmm. when you're praying with other believers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another thing we did this last Sunday. Um, we had a girl who was going off to mm-hmm. her basic training for the Navy. And what did the church do? They all came together and prayed for her before she left. Mm-hmm. Corporate prayer. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely times where is it James, who says when one is sick, should go and seek out the elders to pray for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just shows you how important it is that prayer is something we need to do for each other and together mm-hmm. more than just individually asking for things for ourselves or even yeah. for other people. Yeah. Some other things we can do too is, I mean, we talked about it earlier with some books that we've read. Reading about prayer in addition to praying enriches your education. Reading the books of wise men and women of prayer gives us the privilege of walking with them and learning the insights God gave them on how to pray. No matter how difficult prayer seems for you now, if you preserve and learning how to pray, you can always enjoy the hope of an even stronger and more fruitful prayer life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main thing that gets us caught up sometimes is like how awkward prayer is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we can understand that Bible commands us. We can understand that scripture is clear on that we're supposed to do this. We can even see that meditation is helpful. We can read about it all day long and talk to other people until we're blue in the face. But it kind of gets to the matter of actually just going and doing it. Mm -hmm. I was, what do you do when you fail? A lot of times as humans, we like to have this idea of where we want to be perfect, where we're not going to mess up. Mm -hmm. And when we do mess up, we get really embarrassed, really ashamed or angry. And we don't always put through our egos and our minds that, you know what, I'm going to go through life and I'm going to mess up something. I'm not going to do this right. Mm Mm-hmm. And it really comes to this idea of what happens when you're going to fail. Are you going to stick and kick it there just where you fail? Or are you going to use that failure and turn it into something to where you learn and get better at it? And I think for those people who are super successful at stuff, you got to realize how many times you fail. And... I don't know if this is true or not, but they were talking about WD-40. Mm. I mean, there could have always been a WD-1. Yeah. That's what it stands for. Water uh, Water displacement. 40. Well, it, I think it actually technically took like 39 or 38 tries, but 40 sounded better, so they upped it to 40. Right. But uh, yeah, it took that many tries. And... That's what put it on the outside of a rocket. It's pretty cool. 
I mean, you think about, I think Einstein too. I mean, those guys tried so many different things to get to that one great invention or Mm -hmm. great something that got them there. Mm -hmm. Maybe not just Einstein, but any great inventor you can think of did multiple different things. I mean, you think of George Washington Carver. Mm -hmm. I might be getting this wrong, but he's the one who found out all the different things you could do with peanuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of how many times he had to try that. I love that man. He made peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Peanut butter. It's definitely whatever person needs. It's a blessing from the Lord. But essentially, I'm trying to get to that quote earlier of where, or idea earlier where we said praying is something that you have to do and understand that you're not going to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, spiritual disciplines, you're not going to do it perfectly. But are you just going to fail and mope about not doing it perfectly? Or are you going to learn and grow how to do it better? Mm-hmm. To have God work in you and make you, help you to do it better. Mm-hmm. And know that the bar here, the standard isn't George Mueller. And the standard isn't Richard Baxter. And the standard isn't a John Wesley or Charles Wesley or you name it. It's that's not the bar, right? The bar is there is no bar. It's to pursue Christ. Now, God has worked in their lives and we can reflect on those and those are wonderful things, but he's not calling you to be a George Mueller. He's calling you to be you. Right. And so just submit to God and allow the spirit to work through you and don't try to conform yourself to someone else's image, but try to be conformed into Christ's image. Right. And even thinking about that, the big thing that, and we're going to get into this, is that Donald Whitney portrays in his book is that this is supposed to show you the end goal of what you're conforming to. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we're really about to get into is looking at that end goal that prayer is answered. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's the reason why we don't pray, why we don't believe in it is because we don't think that he's going to answer prayers that we think it's going to be a waste of time. If we meditate on what God's word is and try to imply it in our prayers, sometimes we think it's not worth it. If we spend time praying with other people mm-hmm. or even at the beginning of services, look, listening to that prayer list. I don't want to open myself up. You know, most time people don't want to open themselves up to prayer i don't want other people to know what i'm struggling with i don't know what other people to know my heart mm-hmm. i mean here jesus says in matthew 7 7 8 ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open i mean that's exactly what he says in luke mm-hmm. so uh, that's a different Rabbit show will not take that right now at an hour in or way over an hour. <laughs> I mean, Andrew Murray, asking you shall receive, everyone that asks receives. This is the fixed eternal law of the kingdom. If you ask and receive not, it must be because there is something amiss or wanting in prayer. Hold on. Let the word and spirit teach you to pray aright, but do not let go the confidence he seeks to waken. Everyone who asks receives. Let every learner in the school of Christ, therefore, take the master's word in all simplicity. Let us beware of weakening the word with our human wisdom. Mm. I mean, that's so important to remember. Asking you shall receive. 
Mm-hmm. But remember that just because you ask and receive doesn't mean it's going to come the first time. No. Sometimes you have to be that persistent mm-hmm. widow that keeps knocking at the door. Mm-hmm. Waiting. You know, what I'm thinking of too is Daniel. So you think of Daniel and <laughs> in his amazing event, he's pleading. He's been pleading all night, right? Mm-hmm. He's been pleading for hours and hours on his knees, praying and praying. And all of a sudden, here comes Michael, the archangel. And he says, yeah, the Lord sent me when you started praying. Is it Michael or Gabriel? Or Gabriel, sorry. Gabriel. I think it's Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. He sent me when you first started. When you first started praying, that was hours ago. Right. That's like I've been at this thing for like eight hours. You, what took you eight hours to get here? Uh-huh. The, the point was, though, as soon as he started praying, he was commissioned to come to him. Now, he didn't immediately come to him, but Daniel went through all that process of pleading his heart out. Well, I mean, even think of Daniel, too, like during the edict for before he was thrown in the lion's den. Did the edict stop him? No. Did he continue to pray? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bet you knew he, he was praying about what was going to happen. <laughs> Especially in a lion's den. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let's go. Even Charles Spurgeon. Got to get a Spurgeon quote in. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine any one of you tantalizing your child by exciting in him a desire that you do not intend to gratify. It were a very ungenerous thing to offer almost to the poor. And then when they hold out their hand for it to mock their poverty with a denial. It were a cruel addition to the miseries of the sick if they were taken to the hospital and they're left to die untended and care for. Where God leads you to pray, he means you to receive. Mm. Mm. That's a good example. Then what better way are we to know what God's will is for us if we're not in his word and we're not praying? Right. So as much as it is important to pray about the things, you know, to pray the things to be in God's will, we have to read scripture and pray to be in God's will. They, they work together. Mm-hmm. It's not you all of a sudden apprehend God's will and now you can pray. It's a going motion you have to continually do it right to gain clarity yeah and it's just something that all these things really point to that we need to discipline ourselves to pray more and learn Mm -hmm. about prayer so that we may be more like jesus and experience the joy of answered Mm -hmm. prayer to pray all night long man i I don't even know if i could make it a a, an hour at this point in time I mean, there's one time where I made it 20 minutes on a lunch break, and that was about it. And that was during one of those times where I was worried about what was going to happen. And so, of course, that fear and Mm -hmm. neediness drew me there. But being able to do that, like... Continually. Continually. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just because I don't, understand the need enough mm-hmm. I mean, and and maybe that's one of our biggest issues is meditation on god helps us to understand how much we really need god and what he's done for mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. i really think that's where the fuel comes yeah. for prayer yeah but, i've noticed in the times of drought in my life the two things i weren't do i wasn't doing uh was bible reading and praying Right when I, it, it's it's remarkable to me, and I can't remember who said it, 
because I'd credit them because I thought it was genius. Um, when you're in the most spiritual doubt, at least for me, I can I can personally attest, the last thing I want to do is pray. Mm-hmm. When I uh, get a bill in the mail and I can't pay it, the last thing I want to do is pray. When I find out, well, you know, you find out your your best friend's going to die. Right. Your first instinct isn't to go, I need to hit my knees and pray. Mm-hmm. Your first instinct is, I'm going to call them. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. You're always in motion. I want to do something. It's not, I'm going to hit my knees and pray to God right now. Right. Um, you know, I don't like the diagnosis I got. I'm going to pray. Why is it so hard? It's literally the easiest thing that we can do. Right. Why don't we want to do it? Why is it that when you are stressed, mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is pray? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the hardest things to keep in mind is that we need to pray in order of those things. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it's a, I was talking this the other night with a brother, and it, to me, it seems like when we have those moments of spiritual trouble, not spiritual trouble, the, the moments we perceive as physical troubles could be spiritual testing and spiritual troubles as well. Right. If we were so stressed and riddled with anxiety, um, we don't want to pray. Why don't we want to pray? Well, we don't want to pray because I don't feel like it. That's a spiritual right. problem. Mm-hmm. It's a reflection. Why? Because you should pray because of that. That's even more of a reason to pray. Absolutely. And I remember catching myself one time being upset at work and thinking, you know, I can't remember. I was just thinking, you know, I'm done. I'm done. And I was like, why am I not praying? I don't want to pray. I'm just mad. I'm like, well, isn't that even more of a reason to pray? Yeah. And I was like, hmm, that's true. How often do we forget that pray is not just something that's for our physical needs, but it's something that helps to grow us spiritually mm-hmm. too. And I mean, yeah. that's the main point of all these disciplines is they're not just to grow you physically, mm-hmm. but they're here to help be tools that guide you in a spiritual walk and point you towards that. This is not made to wash the outside of the cup. This is made to purify the inside of the cup. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Guys, we should probably close this one out. That's a good one. Yeah. No, I knew this was going to be a long one. It's a really good one though. But it's one that we definitely need to walk through and touch base with. And I hope that there's people from our church who's listening to this because I too. told them the other night that this was an episode we need to go through on because we don't always get a whole Wednesday night evening to talk about these things. No. Especially when you're talk, going through Luke and getting these sections about prayer. And we talked about the two parables yeah. of the persistent woman and then the tax collector and the Pharisee. You're, you're, I'm jealous. You've you've made it through I don't know how many chapters you shouldn't be jealous, man. We're we're just doing the opposite of what's going on. Just, I mean, we're trying to do general overviews and get some meditation, but you're 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 making breakneck speed compared to me over here. I, I'm not making breakneck speed. <laughs> this is not as breakneck speed as overviews of New Testament classes and we'll generally go. Are. Well, well, it, I mean, I went through Isaiah in a week, and that was not good. That was not cool. That's a lot. 
64 chapters. Oh my like that, goodness, that was terrible. But yeah. anyway, yes, I, I hope that there's people from the church listening because I mean, this is an, a, an amazing topic. Right. And even if you guys don't agree with us in our beliefs, I pray that what we're saying here at least makes some sense to you, gets you to think and understand that this stuff isn't even based on what our views are. No. soteriologically i mean no. these are all important disciplines that we need to grow in our lives that help to inform those views but mm. are not the reasons why we have those views Mm-mm. but just help to grow us better as believers together no these are these are biblical topics i think we did a decent job of showing from scripture where these a lot of these are derived right this is the biggest debate right now but we showed from scripture but we also showed from tradition mm-hmm we showed how tradition was informed by scripture and scripture is the main reason of why that tradition exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, we, we can learn from other believers what they've done. God has worked through other believers just as he's worked through us. Right. Absolutely. So, but anyway, we thank you guys for listening to the Anchored by Faith podcast. You can find us on most major podcasting sites, you can find us at anchoredbyfaith.podbean.com. Feel free to to be on the lookout for a new podcast. Remember, the idea is to help both you and us to be conformed to the image of God. You can find us on Twitter at rom829abf. And also on Facebook. Also on Facebook. And we are on iTunes. Not iTunes. That's Apple, Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. I get those two mixed up. Spotify. Spotify. I mean, major podcast yeah. insights. So anyway, please feel free to get on there, leave us a review, say something. Feel free to message us with any questions or just encouragement or, hey, how can we pray for you? Yep. And Put don't us forget, the test. we'll be at certain places around town coming up. Please be on the lookout for us. You probably don't know what we look like, but uh, hey. We'll be more than happy to talk to you guys. So, and we're so thankful that you guys watch. And my name is Logan Batisti. And my name is Colton Wright. Have a good night. And God bless.